0: Sheer Soul with your turquoise angel guide, Catherine M. Lau, and her variety of guests on the Celestial Zoom, formerly Spiritual Destination. As an author and speaker about mental illness, Catherine has firsthand experience with mental and physical interactions and how spirituality plays a part in overcoming struggles. She utilizes her skills as a psychic medium and spiritual advisor to guide others to feel invigorated and empowered to go forward in their own struggles. Listen to inspirational conversations relating to sometimes difficult emotional journeys towards self-awareness and spirituality. These journeys brought positive effects toward her guests' mental and physical health and will inspire you to take action and create a healthier and happier personal environment for yourself and those you interact with. You will get the feeling of knowing these people during these relaxing conversations and want to follow them. Now, here's your host, Katherine M. Laub.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of The Celestial Spoon. And thank you for taking the time from your busy day to spend with us and learn about my guest. And my prayers go out to everyone in the world, whatever your situation is, that you have better days to come and the people that have been enjoying their days to continue your wonderful days. Please remember to subscribe to my podcast so you don't miss any of the information shared by my guests. I I really enjoy bringing these podcasts to you with such a variety of information. And also, please remember to share it with your friends so they can also gain some great insights. I am your Turquoise Angel Guide, an award-winning author and speaker, an advocate for mental health, a psychic and medium, and a spiritual guide along with being a wife, mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother. I love all those little ones. We have now 16 grandchildren with our combined seven children. So it's been an exciting year with new births and new horizons. I share my journey of healing and accomplishment. After a suicide attempt in 2014 to inspire others to make themselves come first, and listen to their inner voice. I offer spiritual guidance to help you through your struggles. I also do psychic readings and spiritual guidance for every aspect of your life. So please check that out on my website, thecelestialspoon.com. We ask our spirit guides, loved ones, and angels to be present during our time together and to guide us through a wonderful conversation and help us share our visions with the world. I am thrilled today to be interviewing Monk Yoon Rowe, who is, has been called the new Alan Watts. We will ask you about that in a minute. Born Arthur Rosenfeld in New York City. He studied at Yale Cornell, and the University of California, and was ordained a Taoist monk in Guangzhou, China, host of the hit national public television show, Longevity Tai Chi. He is the author of more than 15 books and countless articles. Monk Yunro began his formal martial arts training in 1980 and has received many awards for his work Mad Monk Manifesto a prescription for evolution revolution and global awakening is his first book with Mango Publishing Yoon Ro writes teaches and speaks in South Florida and around the world I am looking forward to learning more about a Taoist way of life I've heard about it in the past but not exactly sure so Hi, Monk. How are you? It's great to have you here.
2: I'm great, and it's wonderful to be with you. Thank you for having me on.
1: Yes. Like I said, I'm very excited to learn about this because I've heard Wayne Dyer talk about it in the past, but I never really understood what he was teaching. So, um Monk, can you give us a little background about how you started out as somebody living in New York City and all of your training to now being a monk?
2: So I think the trajectory uh, has to do with um, where we all start. I think Mm. this is probably true for for all of us. the, The older I get and the more I see, the more I believe that, you know, the seeds for we will be come are evident very early on and sometimes other people see them and we don't see them um, hmm. sometimes we see them and other people don't see them um, and somebody times nobody sees them and they just emerge but i was a seeker you know I, I was born with that sort of questing questioning gene and so i didn't believe a lot of the things that i was being told about the world And I felt that, like my favorite animal, the turtle, um, particularly the little ones that I used to see swimming in the rivers and ponds in in the Northeast, that, you know, I I wanted to be someone who could see the world above the waterline, that is to say, um, you know, looking at the surface of the pond and all around me. But I also wanted to be able to go beneath the surface and see... um, you know what, 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 what was lurking, and I think you know that that kind of a questing feeling, the desire to know what's really going on underneath everything, um, led me from one thing to the other. But but early on, I discovered you know Asian philosophy, and my mother was a um, student of the Jewish philosopher Martin Buber, and we had a very good library of books. So as a kid, I was you know poking around in there looking for answers and. Pretty quickly, I discovered that the things from uh, East Asia, Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism, these all had something there for me. And I'm sure that I didn't understand all those books. It's hard enough to understand them now. But there was an energy around them and a sense that I had that, and it was more than just their exoticity, but I had a sense that there was something there for me, and I pursued that.
1: And it's interesting, I'm not sure that I will go as far as you have in exploring, but I also am a seeker, and I look at things and I say, how does that work? How come that's happening? And I'm always learning, and I'm going to learn a lot today from you, and I'm going to absorb it, and thank you for being here again.
2: (laughs) My pleasure.
1: So why did you decide to write this book and share your journey?
2: So the book is not really so much about my journey, although I do have a memoir in the works that will deal with that. But the book does have a few – it does have a few stories from my life, but it's not really about that. Um, you know, I, I included them in the book so as to give a little bit of a flavor and to lend a little bit of um, authority to some of the things that I was saying. At least people know, okay, these are pretty up-your-nose uh utopian uh, controversial things he's writing, who, you know, who is he and why does he say that? So, you know, Mm -hmm. I tried to answer a little bit about that, but the book isn't, isn't about me. Um, So what the book is though, is a prescription for global awakening. This this book is called Mad Monk Manifesto and it does uh, follow the same overall construction that Taoist, Uh, philosophy does, which is it recommends that we work first on ourselves and on the way that we see the world and the way that we behave based on the way we see things and what we believe. And then we move from the work we do on ourselves. The book moves into the effects that that work has on our families, our communities, and then you know, on the larger world around us, and eventually uh, on the environment, and I finished the book with a sort of, uh, you know, some grace points about living in service and, and spirituality. So I guess one one way to think about this journey is to think, and by this I mean the journey of self awakening, uh, mm-hmm. is to think of the dropping a stone into the pond and watching the ripples spread outward. You can you can control the drop. But once you've made the drop and once the stone is in the pond, then the way those ripples move and the speed at which they move and their circumference and what they touch in their expanding uh, journey, those things are all outside of our control and so it is with us. Mm. Um, And so, you know, of course the purpose of our interview for me today is to encourage people to engage the ideas in this book and then see the ripples for themselves.
1: Mm, Yes. I am excited about you sharing all of this. So I have a list of different things that were supplied to me. Um, I will just follow through them, and you can elaborate as far as you want. The first thing would be the sixth great extinction. What does that mean?
2: (laughs) So uh, we are... um, In the middle of what paleontologists, uh, geologists, biologists, climate scientists call the sixth great extinction. So that means that in the history of uh, the world, um, uh, planet Earth, um, there have been five previous events. Uh, of of sort of for, for, from our point of view cosmic proportions, where something has happened to completely change the face of of the planet, and in those changes, you know some high percentage of all the living things on Earth die. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, in previous uh, previous examples, have included you know massive volcanic eruptions, uh, changes in the Earth's magnetic pole. It's um, you know, very rapid changes in climate in one case, or maybe more than one. Uh, it was brought on by the impact of an asteroid that, that hit the earth and raised a dust cloud that, you know, block, blocked the sun, dropped temperatures dramatically for hundreds or thousands of years. Um, and, and so, you know, everything died. And plants couldn't photosynthesize. There was no light. Everything that ate Plants died. Everything that ate the things that ate, plants died, and on and on and on. And so Hmm. these great extinctions, we we can identify these great extinctions and often what caused them by the evidence in the fossil record, in the strata, in the geological strata of the Earth. And right now, we are in uh, what an an era that scientists call the Anthropocene, which just means the era of man, of mankind. And, uh, you know, we through our own agency are creating a catastrophic uh, change of global magnitude on the face of the planet and we're basically you know violent monkeys whose job it is to kill and destroy and we have killed and destroyed with our pollution with our industrialization by desertification um, with all the things that we're doing to the planet poisoning the oceans and the rivers and Plastics everywhere. We are wiping hmm. out everything, every other living thing on earth. And soon we will be the only ones left and then we won't be left. So that's what's actually going on.
1: Wow. I didn't realize there were that many different events in our world's history. Thank you for sharing that. Yep. So then what is the third door? <laughs>
2: So uh, a, a little story, a little story about that. Um, I, I we'll have to leave it to the audience to sort of connect these two topics, but um, there, okay. there are ways to connect them. Um, so uh, years ago, I want to say something like 10 years ago now, uh, I was driving to teach a uh, class in the park, which I sometimes do, and, um, and I realized that I had forgotten my tea. Usually i take tea along to keep my voice fresh and to keep me awake uh, and alert as I'm teaching, especially if I've had a long day. So mm-hmm. I stopped, I realized that I'd forgotten it, and I stopped into a Starbucks to get a cup of tea. I prefer to make my own, but in this case, I was in a rush.
0: And sometimes
2: mm-hmm. I went to this local Starbucks near me in here in South Florida. And so I knew the people there, and I knew the, the young lady who worked the uh, you know, the drive-through. And um mm-hmm. So I pull up in the drive through line, and I make an order for some tea, and she tells me it'll be a couple bucks. And when it's time to move on, I can't because there's a line of cars in front of me, and they're not moving. So, hmm. you know, my, bump, my bumper is three or four inches from the one in front of me. Yep. <laughs> so I just have to wait. Uh, I just have to wait. And while I'm the minute I finish with my order, the guy behind me leans on his horn and yells out uh you know, the window, move up you idiot. Mm.
1: And
2: he's apparently, you know, dissatisfied with the uh alignment of his mouth and the microphone. So um <laughs> I I I because I'm a great and enlightened master <laughs> I decide that the best thing to do is to uh, send him for a holiday visit to the dentist. This was just around Christmas time. I'll show him to who to honk and I'll show him who to, uh, you know, who to yell at. So I, I, I put my hand on the door handle, and I look in the rearview mirror, and in, in the rearview mirror I see this gentleman in his big SUV, and his face is florid and angry, and he looks totally stressed out and crazy. And, um, and I see my own face. Uh, at the sure. same time that I see his, and uh sadly, I look just just like him wow so that yeah that gives me uh that gives me a moment where this story is going is quite unexpected, so that gives me a moment of pause and i think well um maybe i maybe i i i 'm suffering from whatever he 's suffering from and it's it 's contagious, and maybe i don 't want to get out so uh lose my temper so instead I stay in the car and when it's my turn at the window to pay uh, she says you know it'll be a couple of dollars I say you know actually I'd like to uh, I'd like to buy the coffee for the guy behind me and she says what? but he's an ass I heard him yelling at you and And I said well you know we don't know what kind of a day he's having maybe he just found out that his wife is sick or his is, is, is he got fired, or his, his kid has ran away, or something? You know, you never know mm-hmm. what's going on in people's lives, and we don't want to judge it. Let's just mm-hmm. let's just buy him the coffee. And she says, "Well, the problem is he's not just buying coffee; he's buying a breakfast for his entire office, and the bill is, uh, you know, this much." And she names a figure far beyond what's in my wallet. Yeah. And then I look I look at I look at the lone sad ten dollar bill in my in my billfold, and I think, well. uh It's almost Christmas, and so I give her my credit card, and she says, really? I said, just do it, do it before I change my mind, quickly. (laughs) And she says, but, you know, she's such a jerk, you know. I said, never mind, just do it, do it. So I pay, and I drive away a happy boy. And and six or seven hours later when I get home, I find that my message machine is full of... uh, Full of messages to the point where I can't take anymore, and I start to listen to them. And the first ones are from the young lady at Starbucks saying, "Please call me, please call me." And you know, um, you know, being a being a Jewish boy from New York, my first thought was, "Oh, oh, the credit card was was no good." But <laughs> I, I, I knew, it, I knew, you know, I knew it was okay. But then I I start hearing, I wonder because then the Starbucks manager comes on and on and on, and eventually. Uh, I get another message from an NBC or ABC news reporter. Uh, <laughs> please call me uh, uh, this number. And I get a bunch of these messages from this reporter, and I'm thinking, what the heck is going on? What is all this? Yeah. And just as I'm listening to the last message, the phone rings, and it's the reporter again. I answer it. He says, Oh, you're home. I want to come to your house. And I said, Listen, I don't know. You must have the wrong guy. What? Are you, what is this all about? So, so well, you're the guy that was at Starbucks this morning. I said, yes. So then you bought uh, coffee for the guy behind you? I said, really? You don't have a better story than this? This is a holiday story about philanthropy. Go talk to Bill Gates. There's people giving away <laughs> real money, doing real things. Go talk to Mother Teresa. I, nothing. I bought a guy some coffee. He said, well, you didn't just buy coffee. You bought breakfast. And I said, okay, so I bought breakfast. So what? It's a non-story. Leave me alone. You're not coming to my house. He says, no, sir. What you don't, what you don't understand is that when you did that, the gentleman for whom you did it also bought the breakfast for the person behind him who wow. bought the per- who bought the for the person behind him and on and on and 6 hours later 8 hours later it's still going on wow and i thought wow and this of course was the origin of the whole you know pay it forward thing even though it was really pay it backward and yep. and i and and I, and I thought, you know, there was a movie later about this and all that. So I, I arranged to have an interview with him, and I explained to him, he met me at the Starbucks. I didn't want him at my house. And I explained uh-huh. to him that in Taoism, you know, we have this idea of don't use force against force, and that I, I explained to him about the three doors. So door number one is force against force. That gentleman honks at me and yells at me, I get out. And I punch him, and I go to jail, and I talk to my kids through the, through the thick glass around Christmas in, 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 the, in the county lockup. Uh, right. You know, the door number two is he honks and yells at me, and I get out, and I go up to his window, and I say,
0: um, I, You're right. I'm an idiot.
2: I should have moved up the two inches for you. Uh, can I spit shine your windshield for you or clean your hubcaps while I'm down here groveling? And, you know, and neither neither door number one nor door number two is an acceptable uh, uh, option. So that leaves door number three. And the question is, you know, what is door number three? And the answer is we define door number three by saying that it's a solution to a conflict or problem that is not mm-hmm. door number one and not door number two. That's as simple as it is. It's just not either one of those. It's some other creative solution that we have to be present and relaxed and open-minded and wise enough to figure out when the conflict arises and in this case it was simply to pay for the guy's practice.
1: That is a beautiful story. I love it. That's that's what the whole world needs is more people to look at that and say, "Okay, I know my circumstances, but maybe their circumstances is worse. Let's help the person out, and I love that. Thank you.
2: You're welcome.
1: Just being okay. present
2: enough to notice, right? To notice other people's suffering, present enough yes. to take your perspective out of just your own. I, I notice, yes. by the way, that your um, that your focus on uh, on mental health, and that's the first for these conversations for me. So I might okay. I might say that, you know, years ago, when I was uh, visiting with my master, um, uh, he said to me, uh, how are you feeling? I said, I don't know. I'm a bit depressed. He said, sad? I said, yeah, depression is a little bit worse than sad because, you know, it goes on for longer and it's more more terrible feeling and you can't get excited about anything in there and there you have no interest in things it's, it's a very debilitating and he said are you taking some medicine for that and I said uh, no but I'm thinking about it and he okay. said oh well you know we 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 have a, a, a solution in our practice and I said what is it and he said well you know when you are depressed this represents a failure Of your philosophy and I said I said I don't I'm not sure that I understand what that means and he said if if you are depressed it means that you have created in your mind a situation that causes you suffering and difficulty based on the distance between the way your life is and the way you want your life to be or expect it to be and that distance that cognitive dissonance between the two he didn't use that term but i'm using um mm-hmm. is is the cause of your suffering and so to relieve this suffering you simply have to change your understanding of who you are what your role in the world is and how the world works and if you manage to do that and you address the problem. And this was a very Taoist approach.
1: And thank you for sharing that. That is pretty much the way I have been looking at things. I had a little bit of a slip in December because I also struggle with seasonal affective disorder, which is related to the darkness, and I had to get medication to help myself. But at the same time, I was thinking the positive thoughts that, okay, this is only a temporary situation. I know that I'm helping people throughout the world by doing my podcast and bringing in (coughs) – excuse me, inspirational people to support them. And I went through it only like three weeks, and I, I'm very happy to be at the point that I am now. So I, I love that explanation, and I hope that people that are listening, that are depressed, take that to heart. Because, you know, some of us, like me, I know it's related to my thyroid a little bit and chemical, but... Our thoughts do make a difference in our lives and that is what Monk is explaining to us that when we think about things in a positive way that we can change it. So I I, I am so happy that you brought that up and really um, added to the mental health world part of our conversation. So,
2: yeah, I'd, I'd like to go just a little bit deeper with this for a moment and if that's okay. Yes, uh, it I, is. I'd like to say that, you know, sometimes... Um, we seem to have created this uh, distinction between our mind and our body. And that distinction is actually a false uh, illusion, uh, illusory creation of our culture. It doesn't really have any basis in reality. So years ago there was a an exhibit that traveled around to museums and, and exhibit halls around the country, and it was called the Body. I want to say it was ten or fifteen years ago, I saw it, and I remember that when I saw the nervous system, uh, these were you know systems in the body in these in this exhibit that were teased out so that you could see the brain all by itself, and then you could see the spinal cord and the nerves, and and you realize that our nervous system is not just in our head. Our nervous system is all through our body, and indeed, our nerves innervate the rest of our body from our uh, from our digestive system all the way down to the tips of our toes and fingers. And in fact, mm-hmm. there is a second. We have a second brain, which is about the size of a cat's brain, which actually uh, is located in our in our gut. So when we say mm-hmm. things like we had a gut feeling, or that felt like a sock to the gut we're actually talking about a physiological experience that is real and it's happening in our body so what i'm trying to get at here is that we have something called the placebo effect and people who like to sell us drugs and who want to uh, take our money and get us involved in uh, western healthcare they they like to tell us that you know this problem uh, of seasonal affective disorder, for example, is a uh, you know is a question of a neurotransmitter being low, for vitamin D, melatonin, and so on and so on, and, and, uh-huh. and light, um, and and it's and it's all it's all in your head. It's a mood thing, and then another doctor will say, no, it's just these levels of uh, of these neurotransmitters, and if you change the levels, this this so-called syndrome goes away. Uh-huh. And so what's, what's missing in this discussion is what's missing in the presentation of these two ways of looking at things. Either you have a psychosomatic problem, that is you, you're suffering in your head, but there's no physical cause, or there is a physical cause um, and we have drugs and we have this and that to fix it or surgeries. What's missing is a discussion of the relationship, the nuanced and rich relationship between the meat of us, the stuff that makes us physically, and what goes on in our brain. And this is not an airy-fairy subject. This is a very scientific thing. Our nerves innervate our systems, and there are very elaborate uh, processes involved in the way we feel and the way we feel pain and the way we feel changes and discomfort. And and so it's completely great. It's highly desirable to be able to affect the changes that we want in our body, a diminution of pain, um, an improvement of mood, and a lift in energy, and on and on. By addressing the system where the brain and the body are talking to each other and that's a very real system it's not made up it's not unscientific and when we say that a drug works as well as placebo and placebo is described as just telling somebody that they're that they're cured now mm-hmm. what we're really saying what we're really saying is that the body has its own mechanism for healing and that that is and should be the gold standard for our health we should always want the body to heal on its own without the intervention of doctors and medications we need to do doctors and medications when the body's ability to heal itself or our ability to let the body heal itself has failed but doctors and medications are not better in any way
1: right right no i fully agree and um You were talking about the gut, and it's funny because my gut does control a lot in my body. I had most of my colon removed in 2012, and that's what caused my downward spiral because I was actually living in the bathroom. I would come out, try to eat something, and have to run right back in. And the last couple years, I've actually been on the healing path, you know, because of my suicide attempt that it brought it all to the surface, work on my mind, body and soul together. So currently I am not taking any medication on a daily basis for my, to be blunt, diarrhea. Um, Mm -hmm. Where I was relying on the medication and I'm so happy to say that, exactly what you said, my mind really has changed the way that my body was not working well. So having only 10 inches of colon and not struggling anymore, I'm happy about it, and I may not have done it in exactly the way that you're explaining, but the basis of my healing is pretty much the same.
2: Yeah, so the the big takeaway is that it is because of the business of medicine and the worship of, of science in our culture that we see the answers as being external to ourselves when we get sick. We see that this is about um, uh, taking a pill or having a procedure as opposed to something that we can do by ourselves and for ourselves. Now, when I say by ourselves, I don't necessarily mean, you know, without expert advice, and there are experts in these fields, uh, you know, in alternative medicine. But the point is that the whole way of looking at our bodies, the whole way of looking at what and who we are, the whole way of looking at health and disease has been greatly colored, greatly colored by the business of medicine. And in mm-hmm. Mad Monk Manifesto, the book we're talking about today, I, I advance the idea that really medicine and money should have no intersection. The mm-hmm. idea that someone should profit from someone else's suffering. And and uh, and be rewarded uh, disproportionately for assisting in the most basic human compassionate action is to me a reprehensible idea. So to me, the whole business of medicine is suspect and should not. We shouldn't allow it to be. It should be no, rent, I, like in, you know, like every other, like food stamps or something.
1: Yes. I can add to that. My cholesterol in December was 324 and my cardiologist said that he does not see that number too often and he's very concerned. So he put me on a statin which I already knew that I had a problem with statins and within a week I thought I was having a heart attack and I said, oh no, it can't be the medicine. Well, I stopped the medicine and I felt better. And, in order to take another type of medication that's not a statin, I have to go through all seven statins because the drug companies rule that that's what you have to do, and it really is ridiculous because I'm looking at side effects because they're ruling how I can advance in my own life
2: so let's so let's look at um, the outrageous sentence, or the outrageous situation that you just described,
0: Mm -hmm. the idea
2: that that some for-profit entity should dictate to you how to take care of yourself and make make available to you or not available to you tools to do that is so morally offensive to me, I can't tell you. And in fact, we can take this line and, and extend it. Mad Monk Manifesto is a book that really discusses many different aspects of the way our anti-culture. I don't, you know, we have a very young and ignorant country, and I don't want to call what we have a culture. I would say, as a student of, you know, of Chinese history, five thousand years of you know two hundred year old country doesn't really have a culture. We have sort of an anti-culture. United States is a marketplace primarily. um, Mm -hmm. People come here to make money and to have more opportunity financially, but we are not particularly cohered by a set of values uh, or a history or a set of priorities or beliefs. We're a very diverse place, and we resemble a shopping mall, most of all. So the issue at hand here is how many other things in our lives besides our health care are controlled by other people who are profiting from our decisions, profiting from uh, the things that we are forced to take or buy or do, and do not, these people do not have our best interests at heart. So Mm -hmm. healthcare is one example, but there are many others. Let's take, for example, what I call the tyranny of time. So the way that most people work, I saw online today a, a quote from um, uh, Bill Gates, and the quote was "Busy is the new stupid," <laughs> and, and and I and I loved it because what it makes me think of is that so many of us spend our lives changing, exchanging, trading a non-renewable resource, time. Right, you can't get mm-hmm. back yesterday. You can't be- get back an hour ago. You can't be- get back what you, you know, what the time you've spent on anything. Once that's gone, it's gone forever. A non-renewable resource is being traded for money, which is a renewable one. We can go out and make it again. We can sell that thing again. We can do that work again. Money comes and goes, but time is gone forever. So mm-hmm. the idea that we would, that we who are creatures mostly of time more than we are of space our lives are defined by the fact that we're born, we get old, we get sick, we die. And mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a trajectory to our life, and time is the primary factor that we deal with in our lives. It has to do with everything. How long does it take a uh, you know, a baby to develop and a mommy? How long does it take uh, for you to go through school? How long does it take for you to grow up? How long does it take for you... Uh, to buy a house, how long does it take for you to get to be vice president of the company, and on and on and on. So mm-hmm. time is the ruling thing, and yet instead of being really aware of time, we just pee it away and we change it for all kinds of frivolous things because there are forces at work on us, whether they are our government, corporations, and other you know m- merchandising entities – the Internet and the people who control that who want our eyeballs, there's something called the attention economy, which is around you know, selling our views. When we look at something online, some, whenever we click on something online, somebody is making a profit from that decision.
0: So they are right. fighting
2: for our eyeballs. So the idea that we should spend hours a day on social media or five or six hours a day in front of the television, which is the American national average, Instead of being out in nature, exercising, spending time with our children, reading books, reading books to our children, uh, and, and many other myriad options, which are much better for us, but don't profit somebody else. We have to, be, we have to wake up to these forces at work on us, and we have to just say no.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a, a strong sentence, just say no. Because a lot of people do have a problem saying no for just things in general. Okay, so we we drifted a little bit, but um, I'm so happy we did get to talk about the health industry and a little bit about mental health, because um, that's what I try to interject in all of my conversations. So thank you for all of that sharing, Monk.
2: You're welcome.
1: So another question would be on civil disobedience. What would that, how would well, you describe that?
2: So, you know, civil dis- disobedience is, is simply a, a philosophical and moral position which says that there are higher laws than our local ones and that when we are forced to do something that we know is morally wrong, now I just want to make sure that I'm being clear. I'm not talking about religious beliefs here. Right. Okay. I'm talking about I'm talking about morality because religious beliefs, uh, you know, religion is another subject. These things we call scriptures and so on. These are novels that were written by people in the past, you know, thousands of years ago. Um, some of these novels, like the Bible, have and uh, they're they're works of fiction, uh, but some of them have great characters and great stories in them. They're very entertaining, and many of them really do have great lessons to live by and learn from. Hmm. So, but we have to remember that, you know, people made them up and they made up the gods in them and they made up the characters in them and that they are no more true than Yertle the Turtle or Thor or anything else. Uh, Any movie you see, any book you read, they're all products of human imagination. And some are better and wiser and more profound than others. But in the Mm -hmm. end, they're all works of fiction. So we can choose to love those things and we can choose to live by them, like some people do Star Wars and Star Trek and all that. And I have no judgment or opinion on anybody's choice in this area, except when the beliefs that they are espousing hurt other people. So, Mm. you know, for example, if you have a belief that, uh, you know, blowing up a a school bus full of children is going to send you to meet virgins in heaven, I have a problem with that. If you have a belief that uh, some imagined deity that people made up, you know, was started out as a storm god for the Assyrians and somehow became uh, a monotheistic entity, if you have a feeling that 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 god gave the earth to human beings as our playground and our toilet, for us to destroy and use up as, as we will, I have a problem with that, too. Otherwise, if you tell me that, boy, you know, you read this great book that was, uh, you read Jane Eyre and you really think that all that's true and you want to live according to Jane Eyre or Wuthering Heights or, or uh, Crime and Punishment or War and Peace, I, you know what? It's not my business what you, what you do. Um, but mm-hmm. when those things, uh, I have no opinion but when those when if you tell me that because of that book you want to come and burn down my house or, or you know, kill my kids or you want to do something like that, then, then it becomes a problem. Right. So, you know, we just have to keep we have to keep these things in perspective. We have to see them for what they are. Myths and legends and stories are powerful forces in our life. I in fact have devoted most of my life to telling stories. I'm a novelist and before okay. i became a monk even i was a novelist and even as a monk i used story to get my points across as i did when we talked about door number 3 just now so mm-hmm. it's not that i disrespect you know the power of story and myth and legend on the contrary i think it's fantastic stuff but we have to remember that it's a story <laughs> and not confuse right. it with reality that's all
1: right That makes a lot of sense. You know, a lot of people don't have any morals at all and think what they're doing in the world is, you know, good for everybody, but it really isn't. I fully agree with you.
2: So, you know, civil disobedience is a sticky wicket because people could say, well, you know, maybe your morals are wrong and nobody's above the law and all that, and you know, all of those are legitimate points of view, and I guess the point is that there comes a time for each one of us, and we know it in our heart when it happens, if it happens, when we are being asked or told to do something that we just know is wrong. And whether okay. that something is, whether that's something is, um, you know, we're being told uh, not to let a person of color into our restaurant or not to serve someone who's... Gay or not to uh, talk to an immigrant or give an immigrant a job. Or, I mean, whatever. Any racist or, or, I mean, I'm just picking that as an example, but it's mm-hmm. probably a common one. But there are many, many yep. others. But when we come across these things that we just know are morally wrong, when we see elder abuse, for example, when we see the way mm-hmm. the elderly are treated in our in our culture, you know, yep. it doesn't matter really if the law says that somebody can do that. If we see that it's wrong and we really know it's wrong, then we have a moral obligation to stand against it and that's what civil disobedience means.
1: Yes, great explanation again, thank you. So are there many popular misconceptions about Taoist way of living?
2: So there are some. Uh, let me define uh, what Taoism is for you first. Okay. Um, and, and it turns out that American audiences, American listeners, including the listeners to this program, mm-hmm. know know much more about Taoism than they know that they know, and that is because of the good works of George Lucas creator of Star Wars. George Lucas was a great student of Chinese culture and history, and he learned about something called Confucianism, and he learned about something called Taoism, and he learned about the conflict between those two ideologies. Confucianism is a uh, philosophy that stresses our roles in society our obligations to each other and to those in power, and our obligations to the people close to us uh, and their obligations to us. And it is a set of guidelines that has kept Chinese culture together for 5,000 years. It's gone now mostly on account of the communists, but it took the the so-called communists, who of course are not communists at all, uh, capitalism in China is not only alive and well, but it's, um, it's happening at a sort of uh, hmm. hi- okay. hyper-capitalism. Yeah, There's no communism whatsoever in China. That's just a word um, that okay. people used as a rallying cry like they did in Russia. We haven't actually ever seen communism um, enacted on, on the world stage. It's just the ideas in a book written by a, uh, a German Jew um, in the 19th century. However, um, we we were uh, were talking about uh, the the Star Wars universe, and in the Star Wars universe, the rebels are Taoists, and the Empire is Confucianism and and Confucianist. And so when we see um, the rebels uh, living with nature and wielding swords and wearing robes and having parties and uh, loving each other and loving the other creatures, the Ewoks and the Wookies and all that stuff. That That is the Taoist way, which is a worship of nature and a great uh, enjoyment of life and of the environment with as few rules as possible to constrain um, our healthy life and loving life and compassionate life and frugal life and humble life. When we see, when we see the empire, we see, you know, uh, authority attempting to compel us to do its bidding do what we're told fall step in line or the death star will blow you out you know into oblivion and so you know a great deal of many many films and books and a whole culture has arisen from this fictional rendering of the Taoist world and the confucian world and in fact Yoda and the other Jedi Masters are, in fact, Taoist masters. So, if you know a little bit about Star Wars, you know more than you think you do about Taoism.
1: Okay. Unfortunately, I don't. I haven't watched it, so
2: uh, I just heard can't.
1: about it. But <laughs> yeah. I'm sure most people have, and, and that that's a great description of the the movie. And you know the person that created it and how he looked at things to put into his characters. I never thought about movie makers doing anything like that.
2: Well, most don't, which is why most don't have, you know, decades long gigantic empires, no pun intended on film, but uh, he did a great job. And, you know, very often when, uh, uh, very often when we, um, Uh, when we cleave to great social and historic archetypes like like, uh, Lucas did, we come up with really great stories.
1: Yes, and there are so many great stories out there, but recently I started, my husband and I, when we decided, oh, let's watch that movie. and the beginning of it it's like it's so dark and it's like where did this person come from we can't watch this movie so you know there's the good with the bad and I really do love your explanation about Star Wars and maybe I'll watch it now just to apply the Taoist way
2: well if you do then go back to some of the early ones and, and follow the logical You see the way he develops that world, but it's a worthwhile world. Personally, I'm more of a fan of Star Trek, um, but I do love Mm. the Taoist elements in Star Wars.
1: Yes, I, I always watched the first Star Trek, not the more recent ones.
2: Yeah, great stuff.
1: So Monk, what has been your biggest challenge in life?
2: Uh. You know, listening to my view of things, you can probably divine that um, my thinking and my approach, which is very honest and straightforward and, uh, you know, prone to stripping away the BS of things, is not uh, mainstream. So to try to live a life where I tell these stories and I share these truths as I see them um, in a world dominated by... Uh, our Western culture, which uh, uh, I have a dim view of, um, is, is is an ongoing uh, struggle for me, and to try to be uh, happy and relaxed and productive inside, um, you know, this anti-culture, as I've described it, is is my assigned work by my masters. So I'm here sharing these ideas in our culture. But it's uh, sometimes a thankless job. Sometimes people really dig it, but sometimes people don't. Yes.
1: And everybody, you know, the same thing about what you were saying earlier about some people look at things in different ways and the morals and everything. It's That's the, the basis of it. If If you have good morals, then you can understand the concept of everything that you're talking about because especially talking about the the medicine and everything, how people are making money off of us people that struggle. And I'm really going to take to heart a lot about what you said about our mind and our second brain and everything and continue my healing path so I don't have to take any medicine down the road.
2: I mean, I think, I think this is a very important point, and just remember that there are so very many things in life that, about which this is just as true as it is about healthcare. For example, business. So somehow, somewhere along the line, sometime around the time of the railroads in the 1870s or 80s or 90s in the United States, we got the idea that business is about profit. Somehow okay. we, got this stra- we got this strange idea that we're in business to make a profit, to make money. Okay. In, fact, in fact, historically, that has never been the case. That is a relatively new way of looking at it. But it feeds the greed and speed of our American anti-culture or the greed feeds it, that view. Um, but in fact, you know, business is about providing a product or service. And for hundreds of years, if not more, many of the Western institutions of, of business, great firms um, around the world were, they, they did make a profit, but it was a very small profit, 1%, 2%, 3%. It was enough to reward the owners of the company uh, and allowed them to write themselves uh, salaries and so on. But what they were famous for, and what they took pride in was the product or service that they rendered. So they made the best uh, uh, pocket watch, or they made the best, uh, they bred the best uh, tasting cows, or uh, they made the best, they built the best bridges. And there was a pride in the doing the thing.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: so now instead our work has become a way for us to spend money we don't have on things we don't need and and all anybody wants to do in their working life in if they follow the mainstream culture is to jump from job to job to job making more and more and more money all the time and it's all about us and of course that that same value set pervade so it becomes about the stockholders and it becomes about the rich getting richer and the rest of us scrambling around. And in fact, that's just like healthcare, another area where we have to actually examine, wait a second, why do we think that's true? Why do we think that everything should be about profit? How is that a good idea? Taking advantage uh-huh. of other people, accumulating more than we deserve and more than we need. Where do we get an idea that society should be built around a value like that? The American dream, the so-called American dream, you know, what does that mean? Screw the other guy, get more than you need, keep people down, create a great gap between rich and poor. How is that any kind of a dream? Certainly not a dream that anybody should want. We should be ashamed of it.
1: That's a great point because, you know, you have all the people that have all this money and then you have all the people that are living on the streets under cardboard boxes and whatever, and, you know, years and years ago it was equality. You know, I would grow a fruit or vegetable and exchange it with you for potatoes and something else, you know, and now it's, I believe what you're saying, it has gotten out of hand. So um, way
2: way out of hand, and you know yeah. and we have only to look at the way our country is run. You know, uh, in the in the Taoist classics, we have a a picture of leadership, and the picture looks like this: the the worst leader is the one whom everybody fears. Slightly better leader is the one whom everybody hates. Slightly better than that is the one. Whom everybody doesn't much notice slightly better than that is the one whom everybody loves but the really great leader is the one whom nobody knows that is to say not only do we not know his or her name but we don't even know that such a job exists we are passengers on a ship and the ship is sailing along merrily and the weather is good, and the sea is calm, and we it never occurs to us to ask, whose hand is on the tiller? Who is guiding the direction of the ship? So deft <laughs> is the steering, so light is the touch, so selfless is the work, that we never even know somebody's there. And you can contrast that uh, ideal with what we see in our country today, and you can get a pretty fair measure of how far off the path we are.
1: For sure. Yep. We are running out of time, and I know we didn't touch most of the subjects that we stood, but we had a great conversation about, you know, the, the importance of morals and, you know, looking at things in different ways. So thank you for all of that. What would you like to talk about in the last couple minutes, Monk?
2: So I'd like to give everyone a way to find my book and find my work. Uh, I'd like to share the website uh, that I use, which is www.monkunro.com, and that is M-O-N-K-Y-U-N, as in Nancy, R-O-U, Monk Yunro, my name, there you'll find uh, direct access to my uh, classes and speaking and teaching and my books, including Mad Monk Manifesto, which also of course is on Amazon or any other bookseller. And I guess the the real the real message of, our, of my talk with you today is that it's one thing to talk and think about these things in terms of changing your own life and changing the world. But it's something else entirely to actually buy the book read the book and then put those ideas into practice carry the book around in your pocketbook or in your knapsack or briefcase or refer to it when you need inspiration or you need guidance and making decisions and knowing what to do about how to eat and how to live and how to work and all that so the real challenge is can we all actually put these ideas into practice that's that's the goal mm-hmm.
1: And you know what? That is a problem with me that I have my goals and I set into action certain things, but I don't follow through. But I'm having a feeling that once I start reading your book, it's going to make a difference on my follow-through. What do you think? I hope
2: so. I hope so. That's the the reason I wrote it.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So, um, you know, I, I talk about my biggest downfall is organization and being a borderline hoarder because I just like collecting things. (laughs) And the more I start letting go, the lighter I feel. And I feel like my journey was brought to meeting you to actually make things much lighter than I have already achieved. So Thank you for all Thank
2: the information. And, uh, I hope so. That's that's the nature of a monk's work is service, and I'm I'm happy to hear that it may make a difference for you. I hope it does. By the way, on the subject of hoarding things, I want to leave mm-hmm. you with this idea. There is a quote that is attributed to the Buddha. I'm not sure he said it because I never met him, but it is okay. attributed to him, and it says, count the number of things you call your own, and that is the number of steps You are from enlightenment.
1: Wow. I have tons of steps, so I have (laughs) to work. (laughs) Most
2: Americans do. I have too many myself.
1: I have to start getting rid of them to make my steps less. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. I I would love to invite you back so we can continue this conversation on a whole bunch of the things that we didn't touch on and, you know, some of your other books and, and your TV program and everything. So thank you again for being with us. Yes.
2: Thank you. I look forward to talking to you again, and thank you for your interest in my work.
1: You're welcome. So everyone listening, thank you for listening to everything that Monk had to share. Um, Please take to heart everything that we discussed. And, you know, like me, I'm going to read the book and put things into action because I know my life can still be better. and, And, you know, even someone that has a great life, I'm sure there's some way that they can make their lives even better and the people around them. So remember please to subscribe to my podcast so you don't miss any of these important discussions and inspirations. And also remember to share with your friends and relatives because I'm sure they could gain a lot of insight from my conversations. If you would like me to speak at your event, you can contact me at Catherine at com and that's C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-M-L-A-U-B.com and my website is TheCelestialSpoon.com. You could download a free report on overcoming stress on my website also. If you email me, you will get a 10% discount on any service that I provide. And we can talk in person, Skype, email, and the phone. If you live close to Suffolk County, New York, that is where you can meet me in person. And again, you know, to find Monk and his wonderful book and other books and um, listening to where he's talking, you can find him at www.monkuro.com. m o n k y u n r o u. dot com. This is Catherine Lab. Have a wonderfully blessed day. Thank you for listening to our
0: conversation. We hope that you found the discussion to be rewarding and inspirational and you take action to create a healthier and happier personal environment for yourself and those you interact with. If you liked this episode of The Celestial Spoon, please listen again next time to learn more about how spirituality has guided others to advance their lives. We wish you the best on your personal journey.